it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. 
Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com the Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, good morning everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner and um Welcome to live radio, folks. We have a great one today. It's Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up uh, in uh, about an hour. And we'll have um, roundtable regular uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the left. Henry Hatter, who usually tends the right, is um, off today. But in his place, we'll have uh, 2020 uh, Republican congressional candidate Earl Lackey sitting in for uh, for Henry today and they'll be joined by Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley and it's always uh, fun and interesting when Wood stops by and uh, joins the round table. Um, I originally had scheduled um, an interview with the authors of a very interesting book called Driving While Brown Sheriff Joe Arpaio versus the Latino resistance. And I haven't uh, heard yet this morning from the uh, authors, as anticipated, Terry Green Sterling, uh, affiliated with the uh, faculty and writer-in-residence at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at Arizona University, and um, editor-at-large for the Arizona Center for Investigative uh, Reporting, and her co-author, um, Jude Jaffe Black, or Block rather, um, who's been with the Associated Press uh, since uh, last year as a reporter and editor, working uh, in both English and Spanish on the news verification team. She reported uh, on immigration for more than a decade for NPR and The Guardian. Anyway, the two of them have written this uh, this book, Driving While Brown, Sheriff Joe Arpaio's uh, Sorry, Sheriff Joe Arpaio versus the Latino resistance. It's called Driving While Brown. And I was really looking forward to uh, having a conversation with them about that. So we will try to reschedule that. We'll find out what happened and why I haven't heard from the authors this morning. Could be a time difference thing. That happens occasionally when when I try to set up interviews with uh, people from the West part of the country uh, but armchair politics will happen as scheduled and in place I have um, oh we'll do uh, this is one of those things where you just kind of have to 
just kind of have to wing it. So up next, uh, we're going to talk with the author of The Doc Who Fooled Everybody, The Doctor That Fooled Everybody. His name is Brian Deere. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is uh, a veteran British investigative journalist best known for his inquiries into the drug industry, medicine, and social issues for the Sunday Times of London. Among his uh, many awards, he was twice named the UK's Specialist Reporter of the Year, and in 2016 he was made Doctor of Letters by York St. John University. He has a uh, new book out called The Doctor Who Fooled the World, Science, Deception, and the War on Vaccines by Brian Deere. And Brian joins me by phone. Brian, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Tom. Tell me about the war on vaccines. Um, you you sort of attach it to a, a an individual, a specific doctor. Yes, uh, the I mean there have been controversies about vaccines going back to ancient China and India, but uh, the and there were big controversies in the 19th century and more in the 1970s and 1980s. But the modern phenomenon of anti-vaccine campaigning really dates back to a doctor called Andrew Wakefield, who was uh, working at a, a London medical school who in February 1998 published a a study, a paper as they call them, in the Lancet Medical Journal, which is, I guess, the world's number two general medical journal, uh, proposing uh, that he'd found evidence of a link between the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine, the MMR vaccine, and uh, autism. And um, he published a paper Uh, And it it set off a huge controversy in the United Kingdom because at face value, what this paper seemed to suggest was that there there was a hospital, yes, the hospital did exist, where where a series of families turned up, parents of 12 children turned up, and they, they said that their child was developing perfectly normally, And in uh, two out of three of these uh, cases, the parents said that that they'd received their MMR vaccine and within 14 days, very specifically within 14 days, these children had shown the first signs of autism. And Wakefield claimed in this paper also that he'd discovered a new syndrome, as he called it, of uh, a disease which was included autism and uh, and other features particularly uh, bowel features because he was working in a he was a gastroenterologist and um and this uh, this uh, paper was the focus for uh, a press conference that was called at the hospital of the medical school where he called for the suspension of the MMR vaccine and set off this huge controversy in the UK with falling immunization rates because parents were frightened, outbreaks of disease, particularly measles. And he then exported that from the UK to the United States and the rest of the world. And, um, you know, at face value, uh, it, 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 the, the paper was saying that, that there was, was potentially here the first snapshot 
of a potentially hidden epidemic of catastrophic injuries that could be affecting children all over the world, but less vigilant doctors hadn't noticed, hadn't spotted it. So it was a justifiable thing for the media to be concerned about. And then I came along and um, found that this paper uh, was not what it appeared to be. And um, it's, uh, it's what many... Uh, medical scientists now regard to be the most damaging scientific fraud in a hundred years. Well, and vaccination itself is uh, a little peculiar on its face um, because in its in its sort of most simplistic form, you take a little bit of the disease, inject somebody with it, and it uh, helps them build up antibodies against the disease. <laughs> and that 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 sounds peculiar to people so anything that sounds suspicious about vaccinations and of course as you well know there are all kinds of wild things about the government putting chips into the vaccination and injecting us with these things to track us and all of that kind of stuff but at the time of this it it strikes me that number one it's unusual for doctors to hold a press conference with regard to yes. some discovery yes. or paper that they're uh, publishing. And the other is that his claim came at a time when lots of things were starting to be diagnosed that never had been before. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah. So autism was statistically going up as doctors got better yeah. at diagnosing yeah. it and as they included more things in this sort of world of spectrum disorders. And so now yeah. all of a sudden you've got yeah. lots more cases of uh, autism and this guy saying he knows what's causing it. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So that was the that was the moment, and there were all the, this constellation of uh, circumstances had come together, and he made full use of them. And then he was stopped. Why didn't people's apprehension about the vaccines stop? Well, uh, in the UK, uh, there was initially tremendous progress. When I published my first stories from that point on, which this was in uh, my first story appeared in uh, February 2004. Uh, so that was six years after the, the paper was uh, original Wakefield paper was published. The vaccination rates with MMR recovered fully. They fully recovered in the years that followed that paper and uh, my, my first publications and, and subsequent stories that I wrote completely recovered. But what he was able to do was to firstly move to the United States and in the United States to spend his whole time. He was a full-time campaign. And the story that he told was not the truth of the matter, um, but a whole fix. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with investigative journalist and author Brian Deere straight ahead. The thing about conspiracy theories is that, that they that false information, in fact, there's been research on this, false information, incredible outlandish claims have an ability to travel and to be believed in a way that truth um, often isn't. And this is particularly true of the world we live in now with all this social media of Facebook and YouTube and websites and what have you, that, um, you know, anybody and their dog can start putting out information and it can be wildly false, but there are going to be susceptibles within this market of misinformation who take it up and amplify it. But um, to uh, to tell, I mean, I probably ought to, to say what it was that was wrong with his paper to give you give you some sense of um, what he did. Yeah, please. Two years before that paper was published, he'd been hired by a lawyer to launch an attack on the MMR vaccine. And they'd gone and got uh, made a grant application to get money to do research that was was well actually was only ever going to have one outcome so he was a hired gun he wasn't an independent researcher as he appeared to be he had this monstrous conflict of interest because he was being paid at hourly rates large amounts of money ultimately he walked away with it in modern in present currency translated to u.s dollars is probably about three quarters of a million dollars he was paid hourly rates so uh, but if the lawsuit didn't take place or if it was truncated or failed that income stream would halt so so that was a monstrous conflict of interest he had but then the children there were 12 children in the study. They weren't just patients who were coming to a bowel clinic or anything like that. They were actually the children of people who had claims in that lawsuit, who wanted to take part in that lawsuit, who'd been referred to him by an anti-vaccine group. So they were bound to blame the vaccine when they came to the hospital. This wasn't, this wasn't a finding. It was part of his methodology. And then finally, when... No link was found in his research between MMR and autism, as he was contracted to find. He altered diagnoses. He altered children's histories and misrepresented children's histories. He misreported pathology findings and covered up the children's real issues, the real medical issues they had, in order to create the appearance of having discovered a new medical syndrome um, if you like a fingerprint of vaccine damage in order to get this lawsuit going. So the whole thing was um, completely outrageous from the start. And and what caused him to uh, ultimately move to the United States? Was it Americans' uh, love of uh, <laughs> conspiracy theories? <laughs> well, initially it was because before I'd started work on this subject, his university, he'd... The, the medical school where he worked was absorbed. It was merged into uh, a very prestigious university, University College London, hugely wealthy, one of the top universities in the world. And um, they asked him, they summoned him to the provost and pre president's office. And the provost and president of the university asked him 
to carry out a, a replication study, not with 12 children, but with 150 children, which he said he'd got, and uh, to do the work properly, an absolute gold standard study that would be mirrored at two external sites so as to ensure accuracy and publishing speed and what have you. It was a scientist, a true scientist gift of a lifetime because the university said it would help him, they would find money for him to do it and so on and so forth. He refused to do it. He refused to replicate and to prove his own claims. Even though the public and parents were being frightened witless whenever it was time for a child to be vaccinated, there was this public uproar. He refused to do it, claiming that this infringed his academic freedom. And once he'd done that, they were determined to get him out. He had no future there. Uh, one, one senior manager said, I could have made him work in a cupboard. You know, they were out to get rid of him. And so he resigned, he was paid a large amount of money to leave, and he moved to the United States to continue his campaign and really to migrate the concern over the vaccine safety to, to America. And that's what he did. And the, th the thing about this, um, are, there, are there other examples that you're aware of of um, people putting across uh, dubious scientific claims, and and to what degree has that contributed to where we find ourselves today with uh, with climate deniers and and people doubting the word of uh, doctors and scientists in general? Well, I. I one of the things I say in, in the Doctor Who fooled the world is if if he could if he could do what he did and I and I show you what he did over not just at that hospital but after he got to America and what he did there. Who else is doing what in the hospitals and laboratories that we we may look to for our lives? And uh, it's my firm belief, having having carried out medical and pharmaceutical related investigations for. Well, more than 30 years, uh, it's my conviction that, the, that, that, that misconduct of this kind and fraud of this kind, con, kind is extremely common, but that the biomedical journals who publish this stuff don't want to investigate it. It's very expensive and time-consuming to investigate. They don't want to do that. What they want to do is to rely on this thing that a lot of people have heard of, peer review. Oh, we've got peer review. Right. And what peer review is that they, set, they send, a, they send a, a, a paper they're thinking of publishing off to somebody to give it a quick read. And it's, it's a test of superficial plausibility. It's not a test of truth. Um, so they prefer that and they prefer reproducibility. So if they publish a study that is complete garbage because it's been made up, then that'll, that'll be okay because sooner or later somebody else will come along with another study that puts the record straight and the journals don't have to pay for either of them. And the classic example was actually in this, this, um, this coronavirus issue because back in June, the New England Journal of Medicine, which is immensely prestigious, immensely difficult to get a paper published by, world's number one general medical journal, and the Lancet, the number two general medical journal, most people would, would, uh, would think, um, both retracted papers on treatments and health outcomes uh, in, the, in hospitals uh, among coronavirus 
patients. And uh, they, the, the, this paper claimed to be reporting on data from hundreds of hospitals, thousands of patients. And then along came three journalists from the Guardian newspaper, one in Australia, one in the UK, and one in the United States. And they set about Googling and looking online and looking into the background of the company that lay behind all this data, the, the authors of the paper, and they discovered the thing was, to, to put it bluntly, a crock of shit. And um, both journals retracted the papers. Uh, again, as with uh, the, the example of my own investigation, based on the work of journalists, not based on the work of the medical establishment or the scientific community. They don't want to hear about this. They don't want to hear about um, extra scrutiny, extra regulation of ex uh, an extra trust. Uh, extra confidence in the scientific progress. They don't want to process. They don't want to hear about that. And in fact, just a just a week back, uh, I uh, I submitted a a, a a paper where I put forward my proposals for reform that would give the public more confidence in these very difficult times in the integrity of uh, medical research. And the journal who'd invited me to write the piece refused to print it. And the, the, I'd made almost the same case about four or five years ago when the top uh, general science journal, Nature, had also invited me to write a piece, and they wouldn't print it. They just do not want the kind of things that I would say that are needed to be ventilated and discussed. They just don't want to hear it because it would cost them money and put them to all kinds of inconvenience, and they're, they're happy with the way things are. And that was that was going to be my question, Brian. Why wouldn't it be worth the money to defend their their standards and their credibility? Oh, because uh, research misconduct. Oh, it just takes forever. You know, it's 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 so time consuming, and then the people you're investigating might sue you. I've been sued twice unsuccessfully. Uh, it's just a lot of bother that they don't want. It brings it brings disrepute on the journal for having published it in the first place. The Lancet uh, tried to destroy my investigation, tried to sabotage it. Rather than uh, investigate what I was uh, telling them, they, they attempted to discredit me. Um, so they don't want to hear these things, and they don't want to. They do not want to get particularly involved in anything expensive see biomedical journals things like um, many of them most of most medical journals and, and medical science journals are published by a very small group of very big corporations who make enormous profits on the turnover they uh, they pass uh, through their books and um, they don't they don't want to get involved in uh, allegations of research fraud or people cutting corners and all that kind of stuff because my proposal i mean what they tend to do is usually when their editors of those journals retire they then say oh well i actually think that research fraud ought to be a criminal offense and uh, which is one of my proposals it should be i mean it's 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 a, it's, a, it's akin to theft um, to knowingly submit false information for publication in medical journals. That's one of the things that I would like to see. Another thing that I would like to see is spot checks of laboratory, laboratories. Um, I would like to see people who are carrying out life or death research subject to the same scrutiny that restaurants 
generally are. They are in the UK. I'm not entirely sure of the regulatory regime in the United States. But uh, in the UK, if you run a restaurant, you could be subject to a, an unannounced spot check by uh, people checking whether your, your kitchens are hygienic at any time. And I said this in, in, uh, in my c contribution to Nature, and they said, you can't say that. This is the house magazine of science. You can't uh, compare scientists with restaurant managers. And I thought, well, who would assume that scientists are necessarily more honest than restaurant managers? Where does that come from? So that's another one of my proposals. And the third one of my proposals, it would be that um, anyone who submits uh, research to a medical journal should be in a position where they accept that if asked, and they probably wouldn't be very often, if, if asked, they were prepared to take part in a recorded interview with an editor from the journal and an, and an expert in their field, the field that the paper is all about, about their methods, the data and all that kind of stuff. So there's a forensically certain record, same kind of thing the police would do or the FBI would do. You get a forensically certain record of what this person is saying about this paper. And I think that should be done as another... Um, way of bringing transparency and reassurance to the public that uh, that what's appearing in medical science journals is actually uh, truthful not just credit not just credible and plausible but truthful and that's a that's a different test yeah that is a different test um this andrew wakefield has been described as uh Let's see, where's, where's the phrase I saw just a moment ago? The so-called father of the anti-vaccine movement. And through your work, that drove him to the United States. Did, did anybody challenge him here? They, they must have challenged him, because I know I've talked to doctors recently and brought up that, that um, alleged connection between uh, vaccines and autism and, and uh, they're very quick to say oh that's been disproven yeah but they're, they're just basing it on my work they, they contributed nothing to it and in fact there's one there's one um, vaccine developer who seems to, to pop up everywhere uh, who's just written a, a review of my book in science where he basically uh, uh, he doesn't quite trash it but he he talks it all down and sort of says, well, this is all an old story. This has all been told. What he doesn't say is that he took all my work as it was published in piece by piece in in uh, the Sunday Times and uh, and elsewhere and put it into his own books and held it out as being his own. So there's this person who's relying on my work because the medical establishment, the scientific community wouldn't do anything about it. And at the same time, he kind of tries to push me to the uh, to the edges of it all. But yeah, they're, they're all saying these things now, but it, they weren't saying that when the paper appeared. The criticisms of the paper at the time were, oh, well, there were only 12 children, and 12 children, that's not enough to take any notice of that. This has all been dreamt up by the media. This has all been, this has all been blown up. Um, but the paper was uh, the paper was uh, a small study, and uh, you can't make any generalisations about it. Well, that just doesn't play. And and I think on reflection, they know the medical establishment, the scientific community, know it doesn't play because autism itself was first classically described, in fact, from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, on eleven children. AIDS, what came to be known as AIDS, 
was first described on the cases of five gay men in Los Angeles. Would anybody say those those things should never have been reported and shouldn't have been taken seriously? We shouldn't have been worried about the first uh, signals that we were getting about AIDS in the 1980s because it was only a, a small, relatively small number of people. Um, so they know that that uh, that the, 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 crit- the criticisms they had of the Wakefield paper at the time weren't valid. They were trivial, uh, but they they couldn't. This is the thing about it. They couldn't believe that the, 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 the paper would be fraudulent. They couldn't believe that, that they, they just couldn't accept that a chap, you know, I think that's the way they kind of look at it, particularly in the UK, a chap would do such a thing because that would have been the only other explanation. But when I looked at that paper and I looked down it and I saw this table and it said autism, 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 MMR, 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 and then this time link of 14 days, I thought that was done for a lawsuit. But I don't want to get involved in it because I don't want to do something about another vaccine. I wanted to do something else. But then my editor said to me, look, you know, go and look at the, um, go and look at MMR. And the first thing I did was to go and interview a mother whose child was enrolled in Wakefield Research. And the story she told me was nothing like the way it was reported in in his paper and from that i knew that this was something that ought to be investigated now you debunked his uh, his paper and you've written extensively about it but how did your your coverage of that and your investigation into that turn into a book well what really was the turning point i think was that um I'd been the subject of massive abuse from anti-vaccine campaigners and I'd uh, attended the General Medical Council hearing into Wakefield's misconduct which went on for 217 days and uh, I'd said things outside the hearing because Wakefield said these children had a new inflammatory bowel disease and we'd already in the hearing heard the evidence on that and these children didn't have bowel disease so I said well these children didn't have bowel disease. I said this to these protesters outside and I said, well, you should come into the hearing and listen to it. And uh, somebody made a a YouTube video that was seen by 150,000 people by the last time I saw it. They they tried to make me look like a fool or a liar. Um, And and what happened was one of the other mothers whose child was enrolled in the research uh, came forward and said, like, I wanted to talk to you about this over the years and she turned over to me more than a hundred documents and diaries of what her child went through in the hospital uh minutes of phone conversations with wakefield letters to his lawyers where she was telling them that the paper was untrue emails to me saying this paper is uh, i can she said i can see this paper is fraudulent from what was written about my child so it was there was it was that because not only did it provide me with solid ammunition fact that uh, Wakeful wasn't able to dispute but also it added the opportunity to tell the story the heartbreaking story of parents who who see their child they bring into the world the most precious thing in life and they see their child experience a, a regression a change where they may lose skills they may stop speaking they may start looking at their fingers obsessively 
and parents go on a, what I call a desperate quest for answers and solutions. And I think when she came to me and turned over to me all this stuff and met me and we talked about her experience, uh, I knew that I had to put this into the public domain as, as a book because you need to see the whole story because it's not a book where I hold forth. This is not what Tom Wolfe called the uh, um, educated gentleman with a seat in the grandstand, but it was, um, it was a, a narrative. It was, uh, it was the story of the real people and the specific facts of how this thing unfolded. And people say to me, this book reads like a thriller. And I suppose it does. I suppose it does, because with each, as each chapter passes, the thing becomes more and more extraordinary, more and more shocking as to what can go on in medical research. Well, Brian, unfortunately, we've, we've come to the end of our time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and uh, your work, past, present, and future, including uh, this book. Um, do you have a website? Yes, uh, BrianDeer.com. Uh, you'll find me on Google. Just put my name, Brian Deer, into Google. Or you can go straight to Amazon and uh, put my name in, and you can uh, find where my book is. And um, it's available now, and, um, and I think it's a story that people will find interesting. It's, it's uh, popular science. It's true crime. And, um, you know, it's the story of how we got from there to here. And if people want to take decisions about... Uh, their vaccination status in the face of, of the COVID outbreak or their families, then this is a, a good place to understand the anti-vaccine movement. Well, Brian, your work is, uh, is amazing, and I appreciate the time that you've spent with me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you a lot, Tom. Take care. That was uh, veteran British investigative journalist uh, Brian Deere. His new book is called The Doctor Who Fooled the World, Science, Deception, and the War on Vaccines. And uh, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague, and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague, well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well, unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus And if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July A super bad transmittable contagious awful virus And if you got a better cough in your arm And if you got a better <coughs> Now back in 1918 influenza had its run But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I Today we have mass media and scientists to say If you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away Super damn important that we practice isolation Cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation It's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable, 
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. license please a what a license for my pet fish eric how did you know my name was eric no 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 my fish's name is eric eric fish he's an halibut what he is an halibut you've got a pet halibut yes i chose him out of thousands and like the others they were all too flat you must be a loony i am not a loony why should i be tired with the epithet loony merely because i have a pet halibut I've heard tell that Sir Gerald Nibardo has a pet prawn called Simon. You wouldn't call him a loony. Furthermore, Dawn Palethorpe, the lady show jumper, had a clam called Stafford. After the late Chancellor, Alan Bullock has two pikes, both called Chris, and Marcel Proust had an anarch. So if you're calling the author of Our Lare Cherche to Tom Perdue a loony, I shall have to ask you to step outside. All right, all right, all right. A licence? Yes. For a fish? Yes. You are a Look, it's a bleeding pet, isn't it? I gotta license me pet dog, Eric. I gotta gotta, gotta license me pet cat, Eric. You don't need a license for your cat. I bleeding well do, and I got one. Can't be called out though. There is no such thing as a bloody cat license. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Is isn't. I bleeding got one. Look, what's that then? This is a dog license with the word dog crossed out and cat written in in crayon. Man didn't have the right form. What man? The man from the cat detector van. The loony detector van, you mean? Look, it's people like you. What cause unrest? What cat detector van? The cat detector van from the Ministry of Housing. Housing? It was spelt like that on the van. I'm very observant. I've never seen so many bleeding aerials. The man said their equipment could pinpoint a purr at 400 yards, and Eric, being such a happy cat, was a piece of cake. How much did you pay for this? Uh, 60 quid and eight for the fruit bat. What fruit bat? Eric the fruit bat. Oh, your pet's called Eric. There's nothing so odd about that. Kemal Ataturk had an entire menagerie called Abdo. No, he didn't. Did. Didn't. Did, 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 didn't, did. Oh, right. Spoken like a gentleman, sir. Now, are you going to give me a fish license? I promise you that there is no such thing. You don't need one. In that case, give me a bee license. A license for your pet bee? Correct. Called Eric. Eric the bee? Nope. No? Nope. Eric the off-bee. You had an accident. You're off your chum. Look, if you intend by that utilisation of an obscure colloquialism to imply that my sanity is not up to scratch, or indeed to deny the semi-existence of my little chum, Eric the off-bee, I shall have to ask you to listen to this. Take it away, Eric the orchestra leader. I want two. I want two, three, four. Half a bee, philosophically, must ipso facto half not be. But half the bee has got to be a vis-a-vis its entity. Do you see? But can a bee be said to be or not to be an entire bee when half the bee is not a bee due to some ancient injury? Singing. A la dee a one, two, three... Eric the half a B A B C D E F G Eric the half a B Is this 
Sir Richard and Nimmy be half asleep upon my knee. Some freak from a menagerie. No, it's Eric the Hoffabee. A fiddle-dee-dum, a fiddle-dee-dee. Eric the Hoffabee. Ho, ho, ho. Employee, but acted accidentally one summer afternoon by me. I loved him carnally. He loves him carnally. Semi carnally. The end. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Somebody spoke and I went into a dream. Oh, 
and holes in black for Lancashire And though the holes were rather small I had to count them all Now they know how many holes it takes to fill over is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com The Time Summer Program.com You pilots, get off my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Summer program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs>